Section 55 of Elia and the Last Essays of Elia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. Elia and the Last Essays of Elia by Charles Lamb. Popular Fallacies. Fallacies 13 to 16. 13 that you must love me and love my dog good sir or madam as it may be we most willingly embrace the offer of your friendship we have long known your excellent qualities we have wished to have you nearer to us to hold you within the very innermost fold of our heart we can have no reserve toward a person of your open and noble nature the frankness of your humour suits us exactly we have been long looking for such a friend quick let us disburden our troubles into each other's bosom let us make our single joy shine by reduplication but yep 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 what is this confounded cur he has fastened his tooth which is none of the bluntest just in the fleshy part of my leg it is my dog sir you must love him for my sake here test 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 but he has bitten me ay that he is apt to do till you are better acquainted with him i have had him three years he never bites me yep 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 he is at it again oh sir you must not kick him he does not like to be kicked i expect my dog to be treated with all the respect due to myself but do you always take him out with you when you go a friendship hunting invariably tis the sweetest prettiest best conditioned animal i call him my test the touchstone by which i try a friend no one can properly be said to love me who does not love him excuse us dear sir or madame aforesaid if upon further consideration we are obliged to decline the otherwise invaluable offer of your friendship we do not like dogs very well sir you know the conditions you may have worse offers come along test the above dialogue is not so imaginary but that in the intercourse of life we have had frequent occasions of breaking off an agreeable intimacy by reason of these canine appendages they do not always come in the shape of dogs they sometimes wear the more plausible and human character of kinsfolk near acquaintances my friend's friends his partner his wife or his children we could never yet form a friendship not to speak of more delicate correspondences however much to our taste without the intervention of some third anomaly some impertinent clog affixed to the relation the understood dog in the proverb the good things of life are not to be had singly but come to us with a mixture like a schoolboy's holiday with a task affixed to the tail of it what a delightful companion is stars if he did not always bring his tall cousin with him he seems to grow with him like some of those double births which we remember to have read of with such wonder and delight in the old athenian oracle where swift commenced author by writing pindaric odes what a beginning for him upon sir william temple there is the picture of the brother with the little brother peeping out at his shoulder a species of fraternity which we have no name of kin close enough to comprehend when stars comes poking in his head and shoulders into your room as if to feel his entry you think surely you have now got him to yourself 
what a three hours chat we shall have but ever in the haunch of him and before his diffident body is well disclosed in your apartment appears the haunting shadow of the cousin overpeering his modest kinsman and sure to overlay the expected good talk with the insufferable prosperity of stature and uncorresponding dwarfishness of observation misfortunes seldom come alone tis hard when a blessing comes accompanied cannot we like sempronia without sitting down to chess with her eternal brother or no sulpicia without knowing all the round of her card-playing relations must my friend's brethren of necessity be mine also must we be hand and glove with dick selby the parson or jack selby the calico printer because w s who is neither but a ripe wit and a critic has the fortune to claim a common parentage with them let him lay down his brothers and tis odds but we will cast him in a pair of ours we have a superflux to balance the concession let f h lay down his garrulous uncle and honorius dismiss his vapid wife and superfluous establishment of six boys things between boy and manhood too ripe for play too raw for conversation that come in impudently staring their father's old friend out of countenance and will neither aid nor let alone the conference that we may once more meet upon equal terms as we were wont to do in the disengaged state of bachelorhood it is well if your friend or mistress be content with these canicular probations few young ladies but in this sense keep a dog but when rutilia hounds at you her tiger aunt or ruspinia expects you to cherish and fondle her viper sister whom she has preposterously taken into her bosom to try stinging conclusions upon your constancy they must not complain if the house be rather thin of suitors Celia must have broken off many excellent matches in her time if she insisted upon all that loved her loving her dogs also an excellent story to this moral is told of mary of della cruscan memory in tender youth he loved and courted a modest appanage to the opera in truth a dancer who had won him by the artless contrast between her manners and situation she seemed to him a native violet that had been transplanted by some rude accident into the exotic and artificial hotbed nor in truth was she less genuine and sincere than she appeared to him he wooed and won this flower only for appearance sake and for due honour to the bride's relations she craved that she might have the attendance of her friends and kindred at the approaching solemnity the request was too amiable not to be conceded and in this solicitude for conciliating the good will of mere relations he found a presage of her superior attentions to himself when the golden shaft should have killed the flock of all affections else the morning came and at the star and garter richmond the place appointed for the breakfasting accompanied with one english friend he impatiently awaited what reinforcements the bride should bring to grace the ceremony a rich muster she had made they came in six coaches the whole corps du ballet french italian men and women monsieur de b the famous pirouetteur of the day led his fair spouse but craggy from the banks of the seine the prima donna had sent her excuse but the first and second buffer were there and senior s c senora c h and madame v 
with a countless cavalcade besides of choristers figurants at the sight of whom mary afterwards declared that then for the first time it struck him seriously that he was about to marry a dancer but there was no help for it besides it was her day these were in fact her friends and kinsfolk the assemblage though whimsical was all very natural but when the bride handing out of the last coach a still more extraordinary figure than the rest presented to him as her father the gentleman that was to give her away no less a person than signora delpini himself with a sort of pride as much as to say see what i brought to do us honour the thought of so extraordinary a paternity quite overcame him and slipping away under some pretence from the bride and her motley adherents poor mary took horse from the backyard to the nearest sea-coast from which shipping himself to america he shortly after consoled himself with a more congenial match in the person of miss brunton relieved from his intended clown father and a bevy of painted buffers for bridesmaids fourteen that we should rise with the lark at what precise minute that little airy musician doffs his night gear and prepares to tune up his unseasonable matins we are not naturalists enough to determine but for a mere human gentleman that has no orchestra business to call him from his warm bed to such preposterous exercises we take ten or half after ten eleven of course during this christmas solstice to be the very earliest hour at which he can begin to think of abandoning his pillow to think of it we say for to do it in earnest requires another half an hour's good consideration not but there are pretty sunrises as we are told and such like gourds abroad in the world in summer-time especially some hours before what we have assigned which a gentleman may see as they say only for getting up but having been tempted once or twice in earlier life to assist at those ceremonies we confess our curiosity abated we are no longer ambitious of being the sun's courtiers to attend at his morning levees we hold the good hours of the dawn too sacred to waste them upon such observances which have in them besides something pagan and persic to say truth we never anticipated our usual hour or got up with the sun as it is called to go a journey or upon a foolish whole day's pleasuring but we suffered for it all the long hours after in listlessness and headaches nature herself sufficiently declaring her sense of our presumption in aspiring to regulate our frail waking courses by the measures of that celestial and sleepless traveller we deny not that there is something sprightly and vigorous at the outset especially in these break-of-day excursions it is flattering to get the start of a lazy world to conquer death by proxy in his image but the seeds of sleep and mortality are in us and we pay usually in strange qualms before the night falls the penalty of the unnatural inversion therefore while the busy part of mankind are fast huddling on their clothes are already up and about their occupations content to have swallowed their sleep by wholesale we choose to linger abed and digest our dreams it is the very time to recombine the wandering images which night in a confused mass presented to snatch them from forgetfulness to shape and mould them 
some people have no good of their dreams like fast feeders they gulp them too grossly to taste them curiously we love to chew the cud of a foregone vision to collect the scattered rays of a brighter phantasm or act over again with firmer nerves the sadder nocturnal tragedies to drag into daylight a struggling and half-vanishing nightmare to handle and examine the terrors or the airy solaces we have too much respect for these spiritual communications to let them go so lightly we are not so stupid or so careless as that imperial forgetter of his dreams that we should need a seer to remind us of the form of them they seem to us to have as much significance as our waking concerns or rather to import us more nearly as more nearly we approach by years to the shadowy world whither we are hastening we have shaken hands with the world's business we have done with it we have discharged ourselves of it why should we get up we have neither suit to solicit nor affairs to manage the drama has shut in upon us at the fourth act we have nothing here to expect but in a short time a sick-bed and a dismissal we delight to anticipate death by such shadows as night affords we are already half acquainted with ghosts we were never much in the world disappointment early struck a dark veil between us and its dazzling illusions our spirits showed grey before our hairs the mighty changes of the world already appear as but the vain stuff out of which dramas are composed we have asked no more of life than what the mimic images in the playhouses present us with even those types have waxed fainter our clock appears to have struck we are superannuated in this dearth of mundane satisfaction we contract politic alliances with shadows it is good to have friends at court the abstracted media of dreams seem no ill introduction to that spiritual presence upon which in no long time we expect to be thrown we are trying to know a little of the usages of that colony to learn the language and the faces we shall meet with there that we may be the less awkward at our first coming among them we willingly call a phantom our fellow as knowing we shall soon be of their dark companionship therefore we cherish dreams we try to spell in them the alphabet of the invisible world and think we know already how it shall be with us those uncouth shapes which while we clung to flesh and blood affrighted us have become familiar we feel attenuated into their meagre essences and have given the hand of halfway approach to incorporeal being we once thought life to be something but it has unaccountably fallen from us before its time therefore we choose to dally with visions the sun has no purposes of ours to light us to why should we get up fifteen that we should lie down with the lamb we could never quite understand the philosophy of this arrangement or the wisdom of our ancestors in sending us for instruction to these woolly bedfellows a sheep when it is dark has nothing to do but to shut his silly eyes and sleep if he can man found out long sixes hail candlelight 
without disparagement to sun or moon the kindliest luminary of the three if we may not rather style thee their radiant deputy mild viceroy of the moon we love to read talk sit silent eat drink sleep by candlelight they are everybody's sun and moon this is our peculiar and household planet wanting it what savage unsocial nights must our ancestors have spent wintering in caves and unillumined fastnesses they must have lain about and grumbled at one another in the dark what repartees could have passed when you must have felt about for a smile and handled a neighbour's cheek to be sure that he understood it this accounts for the seriousness of the elder poetry it has a sombre cast try hesiod or ossian derived from the tradition of those unlanterned nights jokes came in with candles no wonder how they saw to pick up a pin if they had any how did they sup what a melange of chance carving they must have made of it here one had got a leg of a goat when he wanted a horse's shoulder there another had dipped his scoop palm in a kidskin of wild honey when he meditated right mare's milk there is neither good eating nor drinking in fresco who even in these civilized times has never experienced this when at some economic table he has commenced dining after dusk and waited for the flavor till the lights came the senses absolutely give and take reciprocally can you tell pork from veal in the dark or distinguish sherries from pure malaga take away the candle from the smoking man by the glimmering of the left ashes he knows that he is still smoking but he knows it only by an inference till the restored light coming in aid of the olfactories reveals to both senses the full aroma then how he redoubles his puffs how he burnishes there is absolutely no such thing as reading but by a candle we have tried the affectation of a book at noonday in gardens and in sultry arbours but it was labour thrown away those gay motes in the beam come about you hovering and teasing like so many coquettes that will have you all to their self and are jealous of your abstractions by the midnight taper the writer digests his meditations by the same light we must approach to their perusal if we would catch the flame the odour it is a mockery all that is reported of the influential phoebus no true poem ever owed its birth to the sun's light they are abstracted works things that were born when none but the still night and his dumb candle saw his pinching throes marry daylight daylight might furnish the images the crude material but for the fine shapings the true turning and filing as mine author hath it they must be content to hold their inspiration of the candle the mild internal light that reveals them like fires on the domestic hearth goes out in the sunshine night and silence call out the starry fancies milton's morning hymn on paradise we would hold a good wager was penned at midnight and taylor's richer description of a sunrise smells decidedly of the taper even ourself in these our humbler locubrations tune our best measured cadences 
prose has her cadences, not unfrequently to the charm of the drowsier watchmen, blessing the doors or the wild sweep of winds at midnight. Even now, a loftier speculation than we have yet attempted, courts our endeavours. We would indict something about the solar system. Betty, bring the candles. 16. That a sulky temper is a misfortune. We grant that it is, and a very serious one, to a man's friends, and to all that have to do with him, but whether the condition of the man himself is so much to be deplored may admit of a question. We can speak a little to it, being ourselves but lately recovered. We whisper it in confidence, reader, out of a long and desperate fit of the sullens. Was the cure a blessing? The conviction which wrought it came too clearly to leave a scruple of the fanciful injuries, for they were mere fancies, which had provoked the humour. But the humour itself was too self-pleasing while it lasted. We know how bare we lay ourselves in the confession, to be abandoned all at once with the grounds of it. We still brood over wrongs which we know to have been imaginary, and for our old acquaintance N, whom we find to have been a truer friend than we took him for, we substitute some phantom, a Caius or a Titius, as like him as we dare to form it, to wreak our yet unsatisfied resentments on. It is mortifying to fall at once from the pinnacle of neglect, to forego the idea of having been ill-used and contumaciously treated by an old friend. The first thing to aggrandize a man in his own conceit is to conceive of himself as neglected. There let him fix if he can. To undeceive him is to deprive him of the most tickling morsel within the range of self-complacency no flattery could come near it happy is he who suspects his friend of an injustice but supremely blessed who thinks all his friends in a conspiracy to depress and undervalue him there is a pleasure we sing not to the profane far beyond the reach of all that the world counts joy a deep enduring satisfaction in the depths where the superficial seek it not of discontent were we to recite one half of this mystery which we were let into by our late dissatisfaction all the world would be in love with disrespect we should wear a slight for a bracelet and neglects and contumacies would be the only matter for courtship unlike to that mysterious book in the apocalypse the study of this mystery is unpalatable only in the commencement the first sting of a suspicion is grievous but wait out of that wound which to flesh and blood seems so difficult there is balm and honey to be extracted your friend passed you on such or such a day having in his company one that you conceived worse than ambiguously disposed towards you passed you in the street without notice to be sure, he is something short-sighted, and it was in your power to have accosted him, but facts and sane inferences are trifles to a true adept in the science of dissatisfaction. He must have seen you, and S., who was with him, must have been the cause of the contempt. It galls you, and well it may, but have patience. Go home, and make the worst of it, and you are a made man from this time.' 
shut yourself up and rejecting as an enemy to your peace every whispering suggestion that but insinuates there might be a mistake reflect seriously upon the many lesser instances which you had begun to perceive in proof of your friend's disaffection towards you none of them singly was much to the purpose but the aggregate weight is positive and you have this last affront to clench them thus far the process is anything but agreeable but now to your relief comes in the comparative faculty you conjure up all the kind feelings you have had for your friend what you have been to him and what you would have been to him if he would have suffered you how you defended him in this place or that place and his good name his literary reputation and so forth was always dearer to you than your own your heart spite of itself yearns towards him you could weep tears of blood but for a restraining pride how say you do you not yet begin to apprehend a comfort some allay of sweetness in the bitter waters stop not here nor penurously cheat yourself of your reversions you are on vantage ground enlarge your speculations and take in the rest of your friends as a spark kindles more sparks was there one among them who has not to you proved hollow false slippery as water begin to think that the relation itself is inconsistent with mortality that the very idea of friendship with its component parts as honour fidelity steadiness exists but in your single bosom image yourself to yourself as the only possible friend in a world incapable of that communion now the gloom thickens the little star of self-love twinkles that is to encourage you through deeper glooms than this you are not yet at the half point of your elevation you are not yet believe me half sulky enough adverting to the world in general as these circles in the mind will spread to infinity reflect with what strange injustice you have been treated in quarters where settling gratitude and the expectation of friendly returns aside as chimeras you pretended no claim beyond justice the naked due of all men think the very idea of right and fit fled from the earth or your breast the solitary receptacle of it till you have swelled yourself into at least one hemisphere the other being the vast arabia stony of your friends and the world aforesaid to grow bigger every moment in your own conceit and the world to lessen to deify yourself at the expense of your species to judge the world this is the acme and supreme point of your mystery these the true pleasures of sulkiness we profess no more of this grand secret than what ourselves experimented on one rainy afternoon in the last week sulking in our study we had proceeded to the penultimate point at which the true adept seldom stops where the consideration of benefit forgot is about to merge in the meditation of general injustice when a knock at the door was followed by the entrance of the very friend who's not seeing of us in the morning for we will now confess the case our own an accidental oversight had given rise to so much agreeable generalization to mortify us still more and take down the whole flattering superstructure which pride had piled upon neglect 
he had brought in his hand the identical s in whose favour we had suspected him of the contumacy asseverations were needless where the frank manner of them both was convictive of the injurious nature of the suspicion we fancied that they perceived our embarrassment but were too proud or something else to confess to the secret of it we had but too lately in the condition of the noble patient in argos qui se credebat miros audire tragiedos in vacuo litus sessor plurosque teatro and could have exclaimed with equal reason against the friendly hands that cured us palme occidistis amici non servastis ait qui sic extorta vult non servastis ait qui sic extorta voluptus et deptus per vim mentis gratissimus error End of section 55